Again, welcome to all of you who are here with me today and all of you watching online as well. Let's begin with a brief word of prayer to our God. Dear Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock, our refuge, and our strength. Amen. Can you even imagine how thirsty Jesus was? They had kept him up all night. They had placed that crown of thorns on his head and pressed it down. They had already torn the flesh of his back with bone-tipped whips meant to leave a trail of blood. Then there was the forced march outside the city up a hill carrying the cross to the place of execution. And then for hours, he hung there with those nails driven through his hands and his feet suspended in the sky beneath the scorching sun as the sweat and the blood continued to pour out. It's no wonder that the words Jesus speaks were so few, but yet these few words that Jesus speaks, these words that we've been listening to the last couple, couple of weeks, they're so precious to us. They are words we want to hang on every syllable to because these words reveal to us the amazing, incredible love of our Savior. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That because of his forgiveness, we too have peace. It's the only way. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Just think, at the end of it all, it's not condemnation, it's not judgment, it's not the end. There is hope, there is sure and certain victory for those who cling to Christ in the moment of death. We heard it again in the reading, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, yes, Jesus, he willingly endured hell for you and for me, so that we wouldn't have to. So that like that thief crucified next to Jesus who, who turned to Jesus with his dying breaths and said, remember me, he too would be with Jesus in heaven. Jesus endured hell so that we could go to heaven. That, just like that man said, remember me. We don't ever have to worry about being forsaken by God because he was forsaken so we wouldn't have to be. How Wonderful are these words. How grateful we are to hear them. But then for a time when Jesus is on the cross, he goes silent. He is suffering unspeakably painful and woeful, beyond our comprehension kind of suffering. The, the hell that he endures continues on and it's beyond comprehension. It's, it's as if all of creation kind of, kind of waits with a sacred hush for its creator to give up his last breaths here on this earth. But then, even as he's there waiting, shortly before he takes his final breaths, about sometime near three in the afternoon, the Apostle John records these words, they add a little bit more detail to what we heard earlier from Matthew 27. It says in John chapter 19, here are the two verses we're going to focus on today. Later, 
knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. It's actually one word, just one word in the Greek text. I thirst. One word. I, I don't imagine that Jesus spoke it very loudly. How could he have? After all that he had been through, it would have taken a great deal of effort to speak just that one short word. Jesus hadn't been given any water breaks. He was thirsty. But of course, it wasn't the first time that Jesus was thirsty either, right? And that's the thing about Jesus, the amazing thing. He's so completely like us, Jesus, right? So similarly human. Because, of course, he was. Right? Just think, from the very moment of his conception, inside the womb of the Virgin Mary, the eternal, immortal Son of God humbled himself so much that he willingly took on a mortal, frail, human, flesh and blood nature just like ours. In theology, we, we call this the, the state of humiliation, right? or the Christ's state of humiliation. In other words, this is the time from his, his conception to his burial. When Jesus, even though he still remains fully the, the Son of God, he, for this time, humbles himself, so that he does not make full and frequent use of all of his divine characteristics and attributes and power as God because he's on a mission. From beginning to end, that mission is to fulfill the scriptures. The one who God promised to come to be the savior of the world. He's on a mission. Last week, we, we heard how Jesus fulfilled uh, prophecy, prophecy like in Psalm 22, where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it should be no surprise, there's a verse in here too about Jesus being thirsty. This is the verse, verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and that's, that's a broken piece of pottery. You picture an archaeological dig in a desert. It's hard to imagine a place more dry, bone dry. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Right? This is just one of literally dozens of prophecies um, fulfilled in the life and death of the Messiah. Prophecies that identify Jesus uniquely as the only one qualified to be the Savior of the world. Like detectives, identifying someone by their unique set of fingerprints. All right? we, we are meant to see how all these prophecies of Scripture add up to give us like a complete set of fingerprints, as it were, that prove to us beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the promised Savior of the world. Is it not amazing then that the creator of water would find himself dehydrated and calling out in his suffering, I thirst. 
So friends, how about you? Do you thirst? Are you thirsty? I don't just mean, do you wish you had a cup of coffee right now or some water? But what does your soul thirst for? Are you perhaps longing for something that this world can't actually give? Perhaps it's to be unconditionally loved with no strings attached. Perhaps it's to be forgiven for all past offenses by someone that you care about. Or it's to be accepted, appreciated, perhaps noticed. Maybe it's to know that you, you truly matter and that what you do truly matters. And what's your soul thirsty for? I think if we're honest, our, we all have thirsty souls, don't we? we? We all have needs that our souls long to have satisfied. You know, throughout his ministry, lots of different people came to Jesus, right? They all, they all had needs. There was a guy who was born blind. Remember this story in John chapter 9? This guy's born blind, and everybody else blames this guy for his, his blindness. They tell him it's his fault. He must have done something to deserve this. It's because he's just such a bad sinner. Right? They, they figured he must have deserved it. Right? So, so what was this man's need? Well, yeah, to, to see, right? But even more importantly, to see that, that he has a God who unconditionally loves him, that this God is not out to get him, and that this God can actually still work in this man's life to reveal his glory, to give him a sense of meaning and purpose and value in who he is. So Jesus helped him to see. There was once a paralyzed man, and this guy, he... Nothing he could do to get even close to Jesus. He couldn't move. But not to be denied, he had some friends who literally picked him up, four dudes, and they, they carried this guy on his mat, up some stairs, on a roof, opened up the roof, and lowered this guy down on a mat so he could get close to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And these guys probably thought, wait a second, Jesus, don't you see? He can't walk. <laughs> That's his problem. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew this man had an even greater problem. So he gave him the most precious gift he could give right off the bat. He gave him forgiveness. And then to prove that this greatest of this man's needs was actually met, Jesus gave him the ability to walk, too. And so the guy goes home jumping for joy, renewed in both body and soul. One time there was a woman who came to Jesus. She didn't know who Jesus was at the moment. She just met him one day at a well. Every day she came to this well because she had a need. She was thirsty. She needed water to survive. Don't we all, right? But Jesus also knew that she had a deeper need. 
a deeper thirst to quench. One that we all have too. And so here's what Jesus told her. Listen to this. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Right? Just like everything here on this earth, it can only satisfy us temporarily, right? But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, so, so what was her what was her real need? It wasn't just that she had these daily physical needs for, for water and for food. It, it wasn't even just that she had these deep emotional needs, too, for, for loving companionship. It was that she knew deep down she had an ongoing need to have her sins forgiven. Her guilt from her past transgressions removed and the shame of her accumulated stuff throughout her life to be cleansed and to be, to be given a fresh start. She knew deep down that her greatest need was a need of her soul to be unconditionally loved and accepted by the only one who could truly satisfy the desires of her heart forever, by God himself. She needed to see that. And friends, this is what God wants all of us throughout life to constantly see too. That our greatest need in life is not to get a bigger salary, to get more recognition for what we do, to find our niche, to find the perfect romantic partner who can satisfy our emotional, spiritual, physical needs. It's not to get the perfect career so we can buy the bigger house and accumulate more and more stuff. It's not to try and get that perfect college path all prepared and planned out for our kids. It's not so that our kid can get a scholarship and maybe our kid can get on that special travel sports team. Our deepest needs are for God. They're really for God, who alone can satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. Our needs for his unfailing love, his, his acceptance, his unfailing forgiveness, his confident promise that one day, no matter what happens in this world, no matter how bad it is, no matter how much success we have, that at the end of it all, heaven is our sure and certain home. Okay, so this, this is the end game for Jesus. This is, this is the end goal. This is what he came to do, and he's focused on it laser-like all throughout his life, even on the cross, from the moment he came into this world as one of us. And so again, it says in John 19, verse 28, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Now, perhaps some of you might wonder, well, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. Wasn't Jesus offered a drink already and he refused it? We, we heard that earlier before, didn't we? So why is he asking for a drink now? Right? Any, any of you thinking that? Maybe not. But we did hear that earlier, right? Earlier in Matthew chapter 27, he's telling us that at the very beginning of the whole crucifixion scene, Jesus was offered a drink, a drink there that was 
uh, wine mixed with gall. Right? And Jesus refused that. Here's those two verses real quick. It says, They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. You know why? Why he refused to drink it? Well, because this, this wine mixed with gall which was a mild narcotic drug, was designed to dull the crucifixion victim's sense of pain. But Jesus would have none of it. Because instead, Jesus wanted you to be sure that all the suffering possible for your sins, he was going to consume by himself in your place all the way. In other words, Jesus was willing to drain the full cup of God's wrath over the sins of the world so that you and I wouldn't have to. He was going to take it all in, all the suffering, all the pain, all the woe, all the hell for us and for our salvation. That's what Jesus was willing to do because he loves you. Jesus came to drink the cup of God's righteous judgment over sin so that he could satisfy our deepest need for forgiveness. And so he was deprived of water. He was thirsty so he could fulfill the scriptures and ultimately quench our soul's deepest thirst. Is it any wonder, then, at the end of the Bible, this is so cool, at the, at the very end, one of the last chapters of the last book of the Bible in Revelation, there's this incredible invitation of, of God that goes out to, to everybody everywhere, that anybody, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, can turn to Jesus to receive his invitation for the water of life. The very thing that we all are looking for, even if you don't know it yet. Here's this invitation in Revelation chapter 22, right at the end of the Bible. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So back to the cross. How is this possible? I want to read one more time those two verses from John chapter 19. Again, it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished... And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now, this wasn't much of a drink. Vinegar soaked in a sponge and lifted up just probably enough to maybe wet his lips a little bit and whatever he could suck in to maybe moisten his mouth just a little bit. So this isn't like it's going to quench Jesus' thirst or anything like that, right? But see, that's, that's all besides the point. Because this was never just about quenching Jesus' thirst. But the entire crucifixion and every moment of it was about Jesus and what he could do to quench your soul's and mine deepest thirst. To fulfill the scriptures, to be the Savior who could satisfy your heart's desire in God. 
So there's just one last point here to make as we wrap this up here because the, the gospel accounts tell us that shortly after Jesus received this drink, that's when he cried out one final time in a loud voice. Okay? So he whispers the words, I thirst, which again is just one word. He whispers, I thirst. So that in receiving a drink, this might be the prelude to him shouting, it is finished. Now, again, what we're going to see, that this, this whole thing, Jesus' thirst and, and having it satisfied, it's because he loves you. So we're going to talk more on Good Friday, specifically these final words from the cross and what they, what they mean for us. So stay tuned for that, okay? But it's clear from, from the gospel accounts that this drink that Jesus receives is so that we might hear his final words spoken from the cross. Words that are so important, so vital, and so life-giving that he does not merely want to whisper them. But instead he wants everybody to hear them. He wants them to echo down through the ages. He, he wants them to resound down the halls of heaven. And so as exhausted as we see Jesus on the cross crying out with a whisper, I thirst. And as much pain and incomprehensible woe as he is enduring at this time, it's all for you because he loves you so that you might hear and know his final words spoken from the cross and what his death means for us and for everybody for all time. He whispers, I thirst. So that he can cry out, it is finished. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it, it is beyond our comprehension that you who are the creator of water would find yourself in need, crying out, I thirst. But we know that this wasn't just for yourself, but for us. So that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And we might all be assured that you have done everything necessary to quench our deepest thirst. Lord Jesus, you know our needs. For love, for acceptance, for pardon, and for peace. Continue by your Spirit to quench our deepest thirsts of our souls, even as we reach out to refresh others with your gracious water of life, the good news of your full and free forgiveness. Amen.